0: And today we'll be talking about the Hijra. We'll be looking at it from the historical significance of the Hejra, and then we'll be looking at its contemporary life. With me today is um, Brother Ignuleti Fatay a in Nigerian, and um, a former student from the Arabic Institute of Nigeria, and is currently a teacher. Brother Fatay, would you like to introduce yourself? <laughs>
1: Uh, my brothers and sisters in Islam, I am by name uh, Abu Fata Fatah Olalekan from Nigeria. Uh, I'm a graduate of uh, Arabic language I'm from uh, University of Ilorin here in Nigeria. Uh, actually, the uh, coordinator of the program happened to be my classmate where we are at the Arabic Institute of Nigeria where we studied Arabic and Islamic studies together. I think I would like to be brief about that right now. Thank you very much.
0: We could go on and on with that. So Hijra, the historical significance and contemporary relevance. When you think about Hijra, what are the ideas that come to your mind?
1: Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahabi wa mwala. We thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for uh, his mercy, made us Muslims, And um, we appreciate him and we beseech him to to continue to be bestowed upon the soul of the noble prophet, his households, his companions and generality of ummah, uh whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, uh, it is that person that's going to be guided. And whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leads us free, nobody can guide that person. Alhamdulillah, uh, for the guidance he has bestowed us. talking about hijrah, uh, we can see that um hijrah in Islam uh, As we can see, there is no way we can talk about Islam that we will not talk about Igra, because there are two things that are inextricably intertwined. Uh, No matter what we what we say about the history of Islam, there is no way we will not talk about Igrah because it is very, very important. Uh, And now looking at Iraq. Checking the era of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, I mean the migration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam from Mecca to Medina. Of course, most of us might have heard a lot of things about Higira, but what I would like us to discuss here today uh, is that uh, what are the points, what are the things that we need to know as Muslims as regards to This hijra of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi from Mecca to Medina that we are all referring to today was not the first hijra performed by Muslims. Actually, there was hijra before the migration of the Prophet from Mecca to Medina.
0: And looking at um,
1: looking at the migration of the Prophet from Mecca to Medina you see uh, all what actually happened during that time. And we see that um, the Prophet was severely tormented, including the Muslims who have accepted Islam uh, during the time of the Prophet at that particular time. Now, let's look at um, a point that has to do with the language of Arabic language. In The language of Arabic, I won't want to go far with this, but in the language of Arabic, if you say, for instance, if you say, you understand, that is to keep. But if you say for instance, that is to fight, right? But the scholars of Arabic language have made us to understand that when you say if any verb should come uh, with the wording of it means uh, it means that uh, these particular actions as uh, major two participants so when they discuss about the migration of the prophet because in arabic language they say the prophet so it means we have Two major participants in this particular action. The first major participant are the people of Mecca. Then it means that the professor did not intend traveling from uh, Mecca to Medina. And this one, this is one of the points that we need to note here. The point is this the people of Medina have even heard about the professor before that migration, and they have been. Inviting the Prophet ﷺ to visit some then in Medina, but the Prophet ﷺ uh, the Prophet ﷺ has never visited there before that time. So the Prophet ﷺ did not want to go to Medina. He wanted to stay in, in Mecca. and that is why when Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala ordered the Prophet ﷺ to perform migration from Mecca to Medina, He told Adam, "Pray to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala that Allahumma anta akhrad anta akhradtani minal." It is you, oh Allah, it is you that you are taking me out of the, the town that I love most. It means Prophet lost Mecca and he, he did not want to leave Mecca from Medina. But that time, the people of Mecca were major participants in this action because they tormented the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Allah SWT ordered him to go. Why did they torment the Prophet? Sallallahu Alaihi it was because the Prophet actually came with something that was strange to them. This is one of the one of the lessons here. One of the lessons here uh, okay. is that uh,
0: before we go into into the lessons, um, viewers might like to ask that you've um, you've explained the ijra first as uh, from a linguistic perspective. Okay. Now, perspective. Before, we to, before we go to
1: the lessons, before we move to the lessons. Okay,
0: and um, um, also,
1: and, yeah.
0: and also in that um, time, now, and also that now
1: Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered the Prophet wasallam, to perform migration from Mecca to Medina, and the Prophet Sallallahu contacted his friend, his only friend then Abu Bakri that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered me to perform Iraq from Mecca to Medina. Because the people of Mecca wanted to kill him there. They planned, they plotted a lot of things just to get rid of the Prophet because their belief was that he has come with a strength thing, And they even they were even looking at him as somebody who, 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 who has somebody who has mental problems then. And um, uh, when the Prophet wanted to go, he contacted Abu Bakr and Anhu. And Abu albu now. there is no problem let us go together and the professor Abu Bakr, they moved out of mecca then they moved out of mecca and even along their way while they were going out of mecca before they left allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in surah al tauba that um uh yes surah at-tauba if i'm not mistaken surah surah al-anfal al- sorry surah al-anfal Allah, we Allah lost by what I said. I was believing to put you, the prophet, in a confinement, that the youth hide you somewhere, you will not to the be able to tell are Message basically we are trying to spread. I will yap to look at, or to even kill you and get rid of you once and for all. I will look at you, or they send you out of Nigeria. They were plotting, and Allah Subhanahu was planning. And Allah Subhanahu Watahu happened to be the best planner. So these people, because of their plan. So Allah now also planned, because of their plot, Allah now also planned for the Prophet to travel from Mosca to Manila. So because of this, they were still pursuing the Prophet. They wanted to kill him, they wanted to get, him, to get rid of him once and for all. So they were following uh, the yeah. Prophet
0: Yeah, uh, and also yeah, that's very interesting. It's a very historical piece. And um, for me personally, sometimes when I talk about Hijra and when I talk about people, about the, the old experience of Hijra, I like to look at it from different perspectives that, although hijrah is significant to Muslims, but I also, because I I have a background in strategy, I also see it sometimes as a strategic advantage for him to withdraw. And I'm sure you'll cover that aspect. You'll talk about the significance of it or the contemporary relevance of the hijrah. But I also like to see it from the perspective of Prophet Musa, when he had to leave um, the domain of Iran and he was, uh, he was uh, pursued away because there was, he was going to be arrested and possibly killed, and he had to move temporarily for 10 years, and uh, there is a link between, if you look at the history of Musa alayhi salam, and the history of the Prophet, salam, you could see that um, connection, and also Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, at the point he had to actually move from one place to another side. So we have, and I'm sure if we look at the history of different prophets, we would find an aspect of their lives that deal or points to hijrah one way or the other. So do you think um, it's actually a lesson for us generally in life before we even delve, delve more into the you know the history of the Hijra of the Prophet? So is there a connection between Prophet Musa? leaving um, the enclave of Ra'an and Prophet Ibrahim also leaving the domain of the Kufar during this time and the Prophet a.s. also having to leave the domain, the Makkah, the Makkah uh, environment.
1: Alhamdulillah, of course, there is a big lesson here. And this is what I have always been telling my people around here that um, looking at the history of Prophet Musa a.s. A.s., looking at the history of Prophet Ibrahim mm-hmm. and even down to the Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. having to perform Higira from Mecca to Medina, having to leave a city where the Prophet liked most for another city. And um, looking at this, we'll see that there's a big lesson here. And one of the lessons is that, um, uh, of course, it happens most times that when you find yourself in a particular place, and that place, you are being tormented. You are not enjoying your life. You are being, you, you, you are being uh, dealt with in such a way that you do not like. There is nothing wrong, even in Sharia, there is nothing wrong in leaving that place for another place. And later on, when you have attained the level or the position that you are aiming for, then you can come back to that place. There is nothing wrong uh, uh, there is nothing wrong about that. Even in Sharia, it is advisable that when you are at a place that your life is at risk, then you have to leave up it. Because if you remain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, do not kill yourself, do not put your hand into what will destroy destroy your life, do not cause destruction on yourself. So now if the prophet, the prophet, if he did not run away from around them, Prophet Ibrahim, if he did not also migrate, and Prophet, if he did not also migrate, something uh, bad might have happened to them. So, this is one of the lessons a very major and big lesson in this uh, migration of all these prophets from one place to, to another. I think
0: I have answered the question, right? Yeah, because um, it's, uh, <clears throat> others might just want to know, like, because it's very important. And uh, instead of even the Yoruba people will say that And in other cases, um, for our viewers who don't speak Yoruba, what they are saying is that, essentially, even as a brave person, that you, know, you have to understand the time that you have to withdraw from the theater of operations, and that is you you—you fight to fight on that day or you live to fight on that day. And they say <laughs> So I think um, that actually summarizes in a way the importance of having to be withdraw. And there is a pattern because um, I was listening to a lecture by a professor also from Nigeria and from another man also a South African late now. And they always tried to connect um, the life of prophet Musa with the life of the prophet Muhammad in such a way that um, they say uh, they try to use biblical figures to say that when it was stated in the bible that I would bring unto you a prophet like Moses and that actually the person of Islam is the one that was the prophet like Moses. He was a general. He experienced everything that we could have experienced in life. So and you, you, you um, made reference to a very important part. You said the history of Islam as we know it today might have been different. If, of course, um, as believers, we are not supposed to be delving into ifs and ifs, but just sometimes the history, the, maybe a historian also by training, sometimes we look at things from that perspective. So what do you think might have happened if he didn't leave Makkah? If the Prophet did, didn't leave
1: Makkah? Hello?
0: Yeah, so I said like, others might be thinking because I think it's, very, it's a very significant aspect of Islamic history. In fact, some people might refer to it as a watershed. So what do you think, how could it have affected the history of Islam if they had not left Makkah?
1: Alhamdulillah, uh, if the prophet if the Prophet wa sallam, did not leave Mecca, there is something that we need to understand here. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of protecting his prophets. He's very capable, more than capable of protecting his prophet. Even if the Prophet wa sallam, was asked to stay with this in Mecca, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of protecting his prophet. But just for us, he, just for us to learn from that history. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to live. Of course, some people will say, for instance, uh, when the Prophet when he was charmed by the kufar of uh, Mecca, and uh, the Prophet had a very serious headache. So this is this is this is a question that people always raise. That okay, why the uh, why was the Prophet, why was he charmed? Why did he feel the 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 the, uh, the sent to him and then i usually tell people that allah is capable of protecting his prophet Allah is capable of guiding his prophet to the extent that all these you don't get to him but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to learn from it so if the prophet had uh, uh if this prophet chose to stay in matter then Allah uh, is capable of protecting it. But for us to learn that when you are facing problem, leave that place that you are facing that problem for another place. And after that, when you know that the problem, so the problem is not there again, then you can come back to that place. So that is the lesson that we want to learn here. If the prophet did not leave the uh, Mecca, if Allah taala did not ask the prophet to leave Mecca, nothing would have happened to him nothing would have happened to him, but for us to learn. And even if anything happens to the, happen to the Prophet, Alaihi Wasallam, Allah wa wants us to learn from it. But nothing would have happened to him. But for us to learn that if we, ordinary human beings, stay in a place where people do not like us, where people are ready to kill us, that what we should do is to leave that place because something bad might happen to us. So that is the
0: lesson we have taken from. Mm, I really appreciate that because it's um, a discussion that comes up once in a while when people ask that, "What if? It, why did he leave?" And I also I I share your opinion to the extent that I say that first, if the prophet did not leave, Allah is capable of pr- protecting him and protecting his religion and he could have actually ordered the, he could have made all of us Muslims and we wouldn't even have to worry about anything. But the nature of life is such that he wants us to learn from the prophet. And it, because um, the, he has been referred to as the Oswa, the epitome of um, of someone that we could actually, as, as an exemplary figure that we should follow. So, and also it's, it's a moral for us that we should, I also see from a perspective of we should, not only be spiritual, Islam is also a very um, rational religion. That sometimes uh, I, I make a an analogy between the hadith that says that you tie your camel, and you should also pray. Of course, the camel, and you pray for the protection of the camel. This is a very interesting discussion. So now we've talked about the physical aspect of it, and we've enumerated a little bit about the spiritual aspect of it. I would take what you've just said about, as, uh, about Allah being capable of protecting the Prophet regardless of whether he had travelled or not, and Allah was also capable of protecting Prophet Musa, regardless of whether he had withdrawn or not. But in their migration, are lessons for us and in the migration of Prophet uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam, also had lessons. So now the Hijrah started basically with the Prophet But we have, this is a technical question that just came to my mind, but we have aspects of Hijrah by individuals like Salman al-Farisi and who came from Pasha, and he went through a lot, he went through a lot. Could we, um, Refer to the journey of those people as, uh, lay, as a form of hijra as well. Looking back into their history. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Can you know hear me? Yeah. 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 So the, the question is, of course, the technically, the hijra okay. begins with the emigration of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course. Looking back at the history now of so many Islamic figures, like Salman al-Farisi, who emigrated okay. from today's Iran, Persia, to okay. the Arabian Peninsula in search of this roof. And he actually met, met a lot of um, people. He experienced a lot of, he had a lot of tumultuous experience. Would we refer to their own, to his migration as well as a form of hijrah?
1: Oh, of course, like I told you earlier during the beginning of our discussion, I said there yeah, have been higera even before the migration of the Prophet from Maghdad to Maghina. Looking at it linguistically, emigration, Higira, that is emigration, that is moving from one place to another, right? So looking at it politically, you can see that um, it is the same meaning because they move from one place to another. So it can also be considered as higira. And they have also, Muslims have also performed higira even before the Prophet But the only thing that has made this higira of the Prophet different from uh, the ones that other ones are performing is that the direction actually came from Allah to the Prophet to perform higira. So that is the major difference between other emigration and that of the Prophet Son-La-Sala from Makkah to Medina. So all these ones also can also be considered as Hegira, but the difference is that the Prophet Son-La-Sala was ordered to perform this Hegira by Allah from Makkah to Malbina. So that's the difference. And um, all those ones, the other ones that Muslims are also performing and also the yes, can be considered as Hegira, but that of the Prophet. Very, very different
0: from other ones. Yeah, that—that's very interesting. And thank you for that. And also, another thing that came to mind is the because we cannot talk about the hijra without talking about the Ansar and the Muhajirun and the brotherhood between them. And today, it's actually very significant because we are looking at the historical significance and the contemporary relevance. Today, we have Muslims from all over the world in conflict-affected zones, traveling to different as different parts of the world. So. Anytime time there is a crisis, what do you think should be our model? Do, what can we learn from the, from the answer in the relationship with the Muhajirun of that era?
1: Uh, of course, there are a lot of lessons. Uh, taking it from the fourth instance, we see that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi when he was ordered to perform Higra, he moved straight to Abu Bakr, straight to Abu Bakr, Sorry, can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you, clearly. Hello? Yeah, I can hear
1: you. OK. So taking it from your first instance, you see that the Prophet when he was ordered to perform hijrah, he moved straight to Abu Bakr that's the, the, the chain of brotherhood. And when he got to Abu Bakri, Abu Bakri did not doubt the Prophet. Sallallahu and um, both of them moved straight. And along their way from Makkah to Medina, Abu Bakr performed something that is very, 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 very straight to a lot of us. And uh, um, uh, Abu Bakri was asked after that emigration, and he told the reason why he did that. What was the action? When they were going, him and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, along their way, Abu Bakrists sometimes will be walking behind the Prophet. And sometimes, will stay at the front of the Prophet. Sometimes, we stay at the right side of the Prophet. And sometimes, Abu Bakr will stay at the left side of the Prophet. And when Abu Bakrists, Allah Ali was asked why he did that, and he told them that when he thought that uh, uh, this required might come from behind the prophet, so he will move to the uh, to, be, uh, to the back of the prophet. When he thought that ah they might they might come from the uh, uh the front of the prophet so he will move to the front of the prophet when he thought that they might come from the right of the prophet he will move to the right of the just to protect the prophet so he he did not want any harm to the Prophet sallallahu the prophet and so that was the reason why he was working like that throughout the time they migrated from Mecca to Modino. So we'll see that um, Abu Bakr was trying to protect the life of the Prophet, despite the fact that he means that Allah is the protector of the Prophet, but he was also trying his best to protect this, uh, the Prophet of Allah. So uh, we can see that um, it is very, very important that, that uh, as brothers, we need to always be here for one another. We need to always protect ourselves. We need to always protect one another from any evil that will want to be put on anyone. So Abu Bakr tried his best to, pro- to protect the Prophet Sambadu wa At a point, when they were hiding, the Prophet Sambadu had to tell because he knew, the Prophet Sumbha knew that he was scared because of the life of the Prophet Sambadu wa And I, the Prophet Sambadu wa so told him, do not fear, because Allah is and protecting us. So the I I think I have answered the
0: question, right? I yeah, have. So now I would like to link it to because I, I, you know, of course, I like to link things different ways. Sometimes weird, but actually, I think it's very good. To different localities, to different events in the world across the world. And to start from Nigeria, go to Africa and look at um, the world. So, in Nigeria, for example, there is the Boko Haram crisis, which, according to UNICEF, has forced, as uh, at last year, more than two million people out of out of their homes. And we know that in the north, majority of them are Muslims. So, that is one. And then, if you look at the international, it from the regional perspective, there is there are crises all over the world. There are people also even crossing from Cameroon to Nigeria as refugees. And there were people crossing from Nigeria to Nigeria as refugees because they've been forced out of their homes due to crisis uh, or being scared for their lives and properties and their safety as humans, their human dignity. And the same thing can be said of Syria. The same thing can be said of Somalia. And today the same thing can be said about um, Afghanistan recently. So as Muslims, what is our moral obligation from in Nigeria, within Nigeria, to reach out to our brothers from the north and try to um, help them and try to accommodate them, despite the fact that there would, of course, be um, economic problems, there'll be political backlash, and there'll be social backlash. So, what would you tell people all over the world? Because I know that there are similar cases, I wouldn't want you to tell people in Nigeria differently to people in Afghanistan. So in, in, in sum, what would you like to tell those people that it's actually necessary for you to help? And and this period, you need to look back and find a way to help um, others.
1: Oh, thank you. This is a very brilliant question. And um, this is something that should be discussed uh, amongst Muslims. Because today, I have uh, come to realize that uh, we Muslims of today we tend to uh, uh, look at our brother's suffering and um, just be looking at them without rendering any help. And um, looking at um, the situation in Nigeria, for instance, that the issue of people around, uh, uh, a lot of people have been displaced, have been displaced. a lot of people that have been, uh, uh, have been uh, driven out of their homes, their town, of their states. So um, and most of these people are Muslims. Most of these people are Muslims. And um, uh, uh, of course, they are in the North, uh, but some of us in the, in the, in, in the uh, South, uh, we Muslims in the South, we tend to look at them as if we are not concerned about their life. Of course, we may see some uh, minority group of people who are reaching out to these people. But uh, we should not forget the saying of the Prophet sallam, that says So this is, this is uh, the team of brotherhood. We should not allow that uh, 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 evil things to happen to our brothers and be looking at them without rendering any, any help. Of course, looking at the Nigeria situation, I want to start from India because uh, this is the country where I have I see everything that is happening. Uh, looking at the Nigeria situation, most times we can't also blame Muslims. Uh, the reason is that um, there is a lot of uh, economic problems. Somebody who has not eaten. And you expect that person to be thinking about another person's life somebody who has not been a to be and you expect that person to, to to be checking on another person i think it's very very difficult here in nigeria but no matter what it is no matter no matter the situation as muslims we must put it at the back of our mind that we have to render help to our brothers because they are our brothers. The fact that they are from another tribe and we are from another tribe does not uh, cut the chain that ties us together. So we should always consider that that uh, these Muslims, we have to provide help because they need our help. They need our the assistance. Sometimes the help that we want to provide, the assistance that we want to provide, May not be monetary it will be just a board of advice it will be just uh, 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 a help and assistance that they need for instance a lot of things we, we are all exposed to social media today there is a lot there are ways that I can sit here for instance and get money for these people through what by asking people to contribute to them, and what I see is sense to them just to manage their life. We have what we call IDP camps here, these people are there, And a lot of things are even happening to them there. Governments will say they have provided social things, they are giving them food, they have given them. But when our people come out, our people go there to just interview these people, they complain of having no water, they complain of having no food, they complain of having no life, they complain of many things. And the government will come out to say, we have provided them with everything they need. So these people are really suffering. And this is the way it is happening all over the world. This is the way it's happening all over the world. Because um, anybody that's driven out of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of his comforts or of a place where he sees comforts, that person's life has been tormented already. So we need to provide help. So as Muslims, all of this, we have to learn them from the Prophet and from the companions of the Prophet We hear the stories of the companions. We hear the stories of some companions that <coughs> were thirsty. They needed water and they gave somebody water. That person said, oh, you have to give another that person because he is more thirsty than me. Go and give that person before they come back. That the first person has died because the other person also asked them to take it to another person because that person is more tasty than me. Before they come back, the first person has already died. Before they come back, go back to the second person, the second person has also already died. So that is the theme of brotherhood that should be amongst us, be Muslim because we are all brothers and we should look after our lives, we should check on one another. Every time, every day, so as to know that we have brothers out here and we are not the only ones facing challenges.
0: So, I recently wrote an article about um, this topic where I delineated the issue into the historical aspect of it. And the question actually came from the article and also put it as the the international, I have a background also in international politics. And I tried to create the basis for an argument that it is the duty of Muslims to help. Everybody, the refugees, whether they are Muslims or not, because I uh, because the professor wouldn't have turned anybody away. I know for sure, and I, I think we can all agree on that. And the other, the third aspect in my article is about the spiritual aspect of the hijrah, and there is the hadith just to paraphrase that says, and you had your mona hallo, that is also another part of hijrah that we. Literally to say that we move away from anything that Allah has forbidden us from. So I would like you That's to actually, yeah, and now and um, there is of course scholars have talked about a jihad al akbar, a jihad al askar, and you know different things in that aspect. So linking into my article now, which I hope to send to you later, it's waiting for it to be published. What would you say? About the spiritual aspect of it.
1: Of hijrah.
0: Yeah. Um, based on the oh. understanding that, um, and you had your Amonahal law, and. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, Higirah continues and it does not end during the time of improvement. Like I said earlier, that all uh, moving from one place to another, and we are still doing it, that is still happening. So moving from one town to another is also legal. So Ijilah still continues. That of the movement is just, a, it's just different because Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala ordered him to perform that So Ijilah uh, still continues in a way that um, when you move from something that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala prohibits for us to engage in to something that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala likes or wants us to engage in. It's also part of Higira. So that is the spiritual aspect of a Higira. So when you move, when you do something that you have not been doing before, for instance, you have not been performing uh, 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 the Wafim before, you have not been performing uh, your Tarawi in the week three before. So immediately after you, try, you just go to sleep and the next morning you just go for certified free. But you move from not performing it. three. To performing with it is also Somebody who is always uh, always uh, intoxicated with alcohol, and he move from not drinking or not taking alcohol to uh, he move from taking alcohol to not taking alcohol. So it means that person has also performed their hijrah. So anything that we leave, anything that we are doing and we live for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants is also a form of Igra. So Igra has no ended. Igra continues till the end of the world. So Igra will continue till the end of the world because um, uh, if we are still, uh, we Muslims, we must always think of how we will improve in our team, in our religion. So now we must always think of what we want to add so our good deeds that will make us, or uh, that will give us this high rank or high position in the sight of Allah So, Allah, so, Allah. so when you do something new that you have not been doing before, something good that you have not been doing before, it's also a form of iqira, because you have not been doing that thing before, and you are not doing it, so it's also a form of igira. So iqira continues till the end of the world.
0: Mm. That's, that's a very interesting thing. Of course, I. Also, I could go on and on and on, but I'm, I'm afraid you have a lot of different commitments. Also, in my, in my article, I highlighted the experiences of Muslims who live in, in the West, in the US, in the UK, and I wrote an article in 2018 that was published. The title was uh, the title of the article, um, or that article was entitled "Why the Hijab is a Symbol of Strength." In the West. And I have spoken to so many people regarding that. It was a very short piece, and I got a lot of feedback regarding it. And I in the new article, which I will send to you later, inshallah Rahman, I also made reference to the idea that there are Muslims who live in different um, parts of the world. And some of them have been urged, like you leave your country, come to Egypt, come and live in Egypt. Some of the, there are Latinas and Latinos who emigrated to Egypt and there are people from Germany who also moved to Egypt. And it actually happened in Nigeria as well, historically. We can find evidence, we have evidence of people who moved from different parts of Nigeria. Of course, we didn't have Nigeria then as we have it today, but there are historical pieces to suggest that there were people who moved to the southwest to spread Islam, and some people also moved to places where they believed they would be able to spread, um, to practice their Islam more. So now there is an issue that comes with it. The host community, especially when it relates to the West, usually sometimes is less receptive of the people that are coming. And also because in the past, during the pre-colonial era in Nigeria, and even during the, the periods of the Sahaba. We didn't have an issue with someone just moving. But today there are complexities, there are legalities to it. And one of the examples of the legalities is that you cannot just move to another country on any basis. You have to know somebody, you cannot just work in another country on any basis, you have to know somebody, and it has to be registered in that country, which has created a, a kind of barrier. So going back to the issue of Salman al Pharisee, he, he sold everything he had, I believe you are very conversant with the story. He was actually, an elite in his country, in, in in Persia, a very good scholar. And he followed Christianity to a point. He followed all the other religions to a point. And it was a cleric or a clergyman that told him that you see, there is going to be a prophet that will come from that will come from Arabia. And you really should move to Arabia. So when he moved, he was able to move because of the the that they had less barrier during that time. The only thing you need to, would be for you to move as long as you can afford it. But today there are more, there are new layers of problems that are added to it. So from the legal point of view, do you think it would be, what advice do you have for people who are in charge of making policies to facilitate easy movement of Muslims across the world? For example, in the EU, people can move as they like because they are EU citizens. People who are American citizens can easily travel to Canada. But among Muslims, it's not easy for someone who is who lives in Sudan or who lives in Somalia or who lives in other parts of um, the world to just move to Saudi Arabia because he, he fears for Islam. And it's also not easy for someone who lives in the United States of America to just move to the, uh, to the Gulf countries because he, he or she feels that I'll be able to practice Islam. There are other things, other layers of problems for them today, which did not exist in the past. So do you have anything in the form of advice to policymakers and um, especially people who, who live in the Muslim majority countries like Egypt, like um, UAE, like Saudi Arabia, like Oman, and all that?
1: Um, of course, uh, number one, let me start from, uh, let me uh, try to make this point. We, as Muslims, the first thing that um, we should uh, take very important is that um, anywhere we find ourselves, anything that is being regarded as policy or rules and regulations of that particular country or a particular place, we just need to try as much as possible to obey the laws. Of the land. It does not befit we Muslims to go against any law of any land. The only thing we can do is that if the law of the land does not befit the faith that we are carrying, then we can leave the land. However, the people that are making these policies, when we are to generalize this issue, for instance, we all know that the people that are making these policies, most of them are non-Muslims. Of course, if you talk about Egypt, it may be that the uh, Muslims uh, are the major participants, major contributors in these policies that we're talking about. But take other countries, take Nigeria here, take countries in Africa, take countries in other continents of the world. You see that majority of the people that are, that are making these policies are not considering any religion. They are not considering any religion. But let me give you this instance in Nigeria here that usually happen. When somebody is being invited, maybe from US, maybe yeah, it's being invited to US from Nigeria here, and when you get to embassy, they look at you if you are not that person that has made that is uh, you know popular that everybody has known. When you go to the embassy and you are being interviewed, you know you have to tell them the reason why you are going there, and you make them realize that you are going there for the sake of dawah. They may deny you of that visa, and the experience I have even had from a lot of people. Is that they are being denied of traveling for the sake of dawah, for the sake of spreading Islam. Because these are the things that, um, this is something that these people do not believe in. However, it is his lifetime, all these people realized that Islam has come to stay. And no matter where, no matter what we do, there is nowhere we can push Islam to. Islam has come to stay. And looking at the old things, everything that is happening in the world, Islam always, Islam is spreading always. Islam is improving. So they just have to take this very hard conviction because it is very hard because most people don't want to believe that. They don't want to take it, that Islam has come to stay. So they should always consider that in their policies, Elite policy they want to make, all these religions should be considered. Because looking at the world now, everywhere in the world, not only, in, I was thinking before that this, uh, this usually happens in Africa, that we take religion as something important. But I have seen now that it, it is everywhere in the world. It's either you are a Christian, or you are a Muslim, or you are a, you are a Jew, or you are something. So, mm-hmm. in the time, these policymakers realize that religions should be considered. In the policies they are to make. Hmm. So, if religions are confirm that, so definitely moving around to spread Islam, moving around to do dawah will be very easy.
0: Hmm.
1: When you yeah. want to travel from Nigeria. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Dawah. Go on. Sorry. Go on with the example.
1: When, for instance, you want to travel from Nigeria to, if you are a known businessman. You want to travel from Nigeria to US now, for instance, or you want to travel from Nigeria to UK. It will be very easy for you to travel. But when you want to travel from Nigeria to UK or to US to anywhere in the world, just for the sake of dawa, it will be very very difficult, my brother. In fact, you have to travel because of another reason, just to get there and start doing your dawa. Than you saying that you want to travel for because of dawa. They will deny you. You won't go anywhere. So it is high time these people, these policy makers, consider religions as an integral part of their policy.
0: Okay, and um, I so, think that would actually make a very interesting topic. And um, because we are going to be talking about so many things, and in particular, I will be talking about the um, the the Muslim environment in Islam. Within Nigeria, because of the the we have we, I, I believe you would agree with me that we have we live in a period where there is a lot of polarization, and we can see on social media, and we can see scholars from different side to the other side actually fighting, and calling names and accusing each other of not being a proper Muslim, and the other side accusing or the other side with just so many allegations to the extent that it's actually weakening the system. So we are going to be talking about that. And I think you would really be the right person with whom I can discuss that. So, um, but sticking to going back to the issue, hijra, historical significance and, and contemporary relevance, which is actually it, in the title of my of my short essay as well. Um, in summary, what would you like to tell the people?
1: Well, in summary, um... I would like to let uh, every one of us know that um, when we look at the issue of Idra, we realize that there is something, there is a point that as Serra O'Megan battle, competition between what is right and what is not right has been there for long. It has been there for long. So no matter what you do, if you are doing what is right, of course, you will surely have some people who go against what you are doing. No matter what you think you are doing, it may be right, of course, to your idea, but, but to some people's idea, this thing you are doing is not right. So no matter the action you embark on, there will be always someone to tell you that you are wrong, you are doing something wrong. But for you to achieve what you want to achieve, you need to, stay, you need to be steadfast, you need to stay firm on that thing that you believe in. And I want you to know something, that um, the issue of majority, most times, when you find yourself in an organization or in a place, in a community, you see that majority supports a particular idea. And most times, something that I have discovered and that I also learned in this issue of Nigeria is that when majority, most times when majority are on something, it is not always that these people are on, is not always right. So when you think that there is a particular action that is right, you have evidence for it, then stay firm on that view. Because it is not always that majority are right. So look at the issue of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He came with, Something good, but the people then believe that what we've been doing before this one came is the best, and they refuted him. He said, No, you are saying you're rubbish. So that has been there for long. No matter what you are doing, there will always be someone to tell you that this thing you are doing is wrong. So then, what will you now, what will you now do? You leave but you have to check it very well. But when you have the you have to continue and stay and be steadfast on what you're doing. And also I don't so much to be done here I, I That is when you are going to the right path, especially when you are doing that one, there will always be somebody to stand up as your enemy. If you have not been doing that one, you may not see any But when you are doing that work, there will always be somebody to stand us to stand up and be a kind of barricade for you. Mm-hmm. So That's- it will be there. But for you to achieve, you have to be steadfast in order to break the barricade. And also, uh, what I will also bring out from this in the Isti'ana Bel Because when the Prophet wanted to perform that, Igra, when he went to the Al Qaqar, they, 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 they sought the assistance of a Kafir just to show them the way to Medina. So there is nothing wrong with asking. If there is something with a kafir, we cannot. Say. The professor we have, we have, we have read it in a lot of books that uh, live very well, lived good between even the kufa even not the professor So there is nothing wrong in asking for assistance from a kafir when we need. Assistant from Kafir, So we should not say oh, this is a Kafir. I don't want to have anything to do with him or her because it's a caffeine. No. Oh, where we are different is in the area of our religion. We have different faiths, we have different faith. but all other things we can do them together. So there is nothing wrong in doing this together with the Puffa. And also looking at Higua, we'll see that um, uh, uh, a lot of things really happened during that time. But one thing I want to bring out, you see that when they got to Mecca, the Muslims that went there to join the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet and other companions, people of Mecca uh, welcomed them warmly and they gave them a lot of things. They gave them houses, they gave them uh, they gave them cannons, they gave them even women to marry. And the, uh, the people of Mecca who have not uh, come to join the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, they heard about this, and some of them started coming to Medina. that, oh, this was, you know, would be comfortable for us to live. But the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told them, during that time that, ah, Every action should be according to its intention. So anything you want to be in this life, we should consider our intention first. Why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Is it for the sake of Allah? A lot of scholars are out there today, like you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things on the social media, now." Like, When you open social media, in fact, you'll be surprised that uh, these people, do they call themselves Du'an? Do they call call themselves uh, the scholars of Islam? You don't even have a good answer to yourself because they have been calling names, names everywhere. But I think where they are missing is that most of them fail to take their intention, the reason why they are doing that on social media. Because somebody who is doing something for the sake of Allah's will not be calling names. will not be calling names, we will not be calling people names, different, different names on social media. So we should always check our intention, the reason why we are doing something, and also uh, make sure that uh, we purify it before embarking on a particular action. And also one of those things that we should know is that we should not consider this hijra number because we're talking about hijrah. And we are in 143 now. That is 1443 years. We should not consider this to be the age of Islam. That's one of those things that I usually let people know. It's not the age of Islam because the Prophet has been called to the path of uh, to the way of Islam, to the path of Islam, 30 years before he performed that Iraq, and even this ira. Even this igra, the Prophet of Islam, did not use this uh, particular era as a means of counting years during his life- lifetime. It was umon that started counting this uh like counting years, uh, considering the time of this uh igra. So those are the things that we uh, we have to learn and later, a lot of things that we need to take out from this uh igra. So I think I have a... Uh, so let yeah. me brief because uh, if we should continue. I
0: think I'm afraid we can uh, waste a lot of time here. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's a very good point that you made. And um, because of time, we would have to um, stop for now. But maybe, inshallah, Rahman, at a later date, we can talk about the, the impact or the significance as well, because the word actually fits into the discussion of the calendar system, the dating system that we have in Islam. I actually have my own view about the dating system that we have, um, but it would defeat us to discuss it as a distinct topic, Inshallah, Rahman. And um, Brother of the fattah thank you so much for your time. And I hope um, at another time you'll be available to talk to us or to take us through different topics that we have, Inshallah, Rahman.
1: Inshallah, you're welcome. May um, your Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from all of us as a matter of Thank you very much for having
0: me. Yes, yeah, salamu alaykum